The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Interact with this in a moment. If we as a community only focus on one religion, only one event, we are then negating and trivializing the horrors of the past and injustices of today. And now I'm going to scroll down a little further. Hitler was just one of many dictators. The list of tyrants past and present continues with the addition of names from around the globe today. And it goes on. <clears throat> Noah Bloom over on Twitter had this response, which I do not think was overstated at all. Quote, brain-addled progressives cannot ever condemn anti-Semitism without burying it in a mountain of general identity grievance. So, so let, let's break this down for a minute. The argument that if you just talk about the Holocaust, an International Holocaust Remembrance Day, then you are trivializing the sufferings of other peoples through history. And not only so, you are now opening things up for violence against blacks or gays or, or different minorities. Or <clears throat> I find this utterly outrageous and absolutely tone deaf in terms of what's being said. Now, first, let's just be practical. I'm going to get historical in a moment, but let's just get practical. So George Floyd murdered at the hands of police. Was it right to draw attention to police brutality? Was it right to stop and talk about police brutality? Well, no, 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 because many other people have died at the hands of, of, of overly zealous authorities. And, and therefore, to just focus on George Floyd and to talk about police brutality is to trivialize everybody else's sufferings. C could, could you imagine? Could you imagine that? Or, or let's say it's Martin Luther King Day. Well, why should we specially commemorate his memory when there have been so many others who stood for justice and were cut down. So Martin Luther King Day is the day to remember all of those people. Or go back in American history. July 4th, right? July 4th, we're celebrating American independence. We're celebrating the American Revolution. We're, we're, no, no, no. There are many, many other groups that have fought for their freedom and many, many other nations that have broken away with what they felt was a tyrannical government. So on July 4th, we just celebrate all of that. I mean, you, the illogic of it and then the inability through that to focus on specific issues, it, it's, it's mind boggling. Why would anyone think to write something like that? So that's that's problem number one. Problem number two is that the Holocaust is not just one tragic event out of many tragic events here. When we talk about the American slave trade. The American slave trade was horrific. It, it, it was it was especially evil in different ways, and it cost the lives of millions of people in Middle Passage and, and then destroyed the lives in different ways of millions of others in the land or degraded them or dehumanized them. Yes. Yeah, so we can't talk about that. No, no, no. We can never draw attention to that because many other people have been enslaved and many other nations have enslaved and blacks have enslaved whites and blacks have enslaved blacks and whites have enslaved whites. And so we can't. That's madness to say we can't talk about specific things and, and look at specific things and learn from specific things. But, but let's take this a little further. The Holocaust also was uniquely evil. Tell me, please, give me parallel events where, where there is the attempt, the collaborative attempt with multiple nations working in, 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 in harmony 
in a synchronous way to exterminate millions of men, women, and children. Multiple nations collaborating to see this happen, okay? With, with full understanding of what was going on and with complicity to wipe out two-thirds, six million out of nine million European Jews. Let's dial down on this. Among them, one and a half babies and children slaughtered in cold blood. Let's dial down further. In Poland, which had Europe's largest Jewish community, where Jews had lived for a thousand years, was so much I learned of Polish Jewish history I was completely ignorant of until I was there in Poland last year and toured the, the Jewish Museum in Poland, which is a wonder, built about eight years ago. Three million, these stats I knew, three million out of 3.3 million Polish Jews exterminated in cold blood. All right, 90% of the population, exterminated in cold blood. Oh, no, no, we can't draw specific attention to that because to do so would, would, would then minimize the sufferings of others. Hey, hey, listen, I understand that there has been discrimination against those who identify as LGBTQ over the years to the point that people actually assaulted and beaten. That's terrible. It never should have happened, all right? And if it happens today, it should not happen. But, but please, don't compare that to the African slave trade, African-American slavery. Don't compare, don't compare that to the Holocaust. To do so is, is to minimize the sufferings of these other groups and these other peoples. It's, it's utterly remarkable. And like, like I said, tone deaf. <clears throat> Let's go a little further. Why must we specifically talk about the memory of the Holocaust? Because there's massive Holocaust denial. Because to this day, you can go to universities in different countries where the Holocaust is either glossed over, not taught about at all, denied, or minimized. It's just another Zionist myth. It's not another Zionist conspiracy. That, I don't know how much is on the internet out there, how many videos are out there supporting Holocaust denial, how many websites, how many billions and billions of hits over a period of years uh, are, are on these places. I, I've got some stats in terms of different nations. It's, it's kind of shocking to hear. Here, let me, let me look at this. Um, yeah. 2019 survey in UK found that 5% of UK adults do not believe the Holocaust took place, so one out of 20 people, and one in 12 believes its scale has been exaggerated. 2020 article from the Pew Center Research, Research Center stated that most US adults know what the Holocaust was and approximately when it happened, but fewer than half of US adults can correctly answer multiple choice questions about the number of Jews who were murdered or the way Adolf Hitler came to power. Uh, back in 2014, an article in The Atlantic reported that, quote, a new survey suggests that many Asians, Africans, Middle Easterners, young people, Muslims, and Hindus believe that facts about the genocide have been distorted. Now, this is despite mountains of evidence, photo evidence, video evidence, eyewitness testimony, artifacts, documentation. Many eyewitnesses still alive today attempts to deny the Holocaust existence. What's going to happen in the years ahead, friends? Well, that's why we must continue to single out remembrance of the Holocaust. And, and I'll give you the final reason. It's because anti-Semitism is alive and well and thriving. 
Jew hatred, in fact, is on the rise worldwide and on the rise in America, including many violent crimes against Jews. No group in America, percentage-wise, is suffering more violent crimes and attacks in terms of an increase than the Jews. This is just what is going on. This is reality and anti-Semitic lies and libels floating around more and more. And, and the, 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 the joke, you're not the real Jews, you're the fake Jews, and you're the Zionist imposters and, and, and all of this. It is dangerous, friends. Um, Yahoo News reported this October 28th, 2022. An audit by the De Anti-Defamation League published this past April found that incidences of anti-Semitism reached an all-time high in the United States in 2021 with a total of 2,717 incidents of assault, harassment, and vandalism reported. According to the ADL, this was the highest number of incidents reported in over 40 years, averaging out to nearly seven per day. It also marked a 34% increase from 2020. That's quite a jump. Oh, and what happens in Israel? On the very night of Holocaust Remembrance Day, a Muslim terrorist shoots and kills seven religious Jews leaving a synagogue. On Holocaust Remembrance Day. You better believe we need to keep the memory of this specific horrific evil alive and well, lest it be repeated again. Yeah, I've got an article coming out next 24 hours that'll say this very thing as well. You can get it. Make sure you subscribe at askdrbrown.org, A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. Just make sure you get our emails or download our app. As soon as the article's posted, you'll have it. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, A-S-K-D-R-Brown Ministries. We've got a quick break. Download the app. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His loving kindness is forever. That's what you just heard sung in beautiful Hebrew. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Here's the number to call. Any Jewish-related question, 866-348-7884. We start with Jeff in Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Dr. Michael Brown. <laughs> Jeff Rogers. Yeah, doing? my old buddy Jeff. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, what, what, one of these days, we'll have to tell the whole story of how God opened up the door for your African-American church to meet for years in a synagogue, and yeah. then you had you had joint meetings, uh, yeah. with, um, and your choir sang for them, and their choir sang for you. Yeah, uh, unreal, yeah, very unreal story. story. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, maybe one day we'll get into it. We'll, we'll find time, but the Thoroughly Jewish Thursday okay. is a good time to tell it. Yeah. So, what's on your mind, man? Okay. Um, yeah. So I I sent you a um, an alert a little bit earlier that I wanted to present this question. Knowing that this is uh, thoroughly, Jewish, thoroughly Jewish Thursday, I have a question related to the development of families, in particular Abraham's family. Mm -hmm. And this question came as a result of my daughter looking back into the lineages of people that were contributing to the overall plan of God. Mm 
these issues. A lot of people had issues, but the key thing is um, Abraham marrying his half sister and these incidents of people marrying back into the family. And the question kind of boils down to what made it okay for incest type relationships to be established in the beginning? And then what were the signs that we were to begin to move away from that outside of what it says in Leviticus and other things? I just basically wanted to get your, um, your insight on that. And she's here listening with me right now. Oh, sweet. Great. Hey, nice, nice to hear from you. I remember you before you, before you, you knew who I was. <laughs> oh yeah, decade, decades ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, I remember specifically staying, staying, Nancy and I staying at your home. I think in 1986 when I preached at Bishop Green's church. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, okay, just quick story, uh, and 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 then I'll get to your question. All right. Yeah. So Jeff, I've told this story many times, but. Um, I'm preaching at this church, basically all, all black American church in 86. And I'm, you know, I always preach simple, clear message. I can get into scholarly discussion a little bit, simple, clear message. And as I'm preaching, somebody in the congregation yells out, make it plain. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with that. And I, I, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm clear. I'm simple. My sentence structure is simple. It's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it down a little bit more. So as I'm doing it, one of the elders on the platform shows up, make it plain. And I thought, I, I don't know how to make it any more plain. I, and then it hit me, oh, oh, he means preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. Make it plain. And say it. So when I've shared that story in in. In, in black churches, they're hysterical. When I share it in white churches, they're just looking at me. It's like, oh, yeah, and what? And they don't, they don't get it, you know. So it's, it's, it's a little cultural thing here, anyway. But that's that's one of my many memories. I'm glad we could introduce that to you, Mike. That, that's it. That actually became a saying. I told the story in Brownsville during the revival, and that actually became a saying. When someone would be preaching, we'd yell out, "Make it plain." Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, any, anyway, anyway. Okay. So number one, it, it, with the first human beings, marrying siblings was the only option. Right. Yeah. And right. So there was never a parent marrying a child that never happens in the Bible, nor is that ever a sanction, but right. a brother marrying a sister, the first generation, that was the only choice. And basic. So, so that's just logic. There's, there's no other way to do it. God did not create multiple sets of, of the human race. He created Adam and Eve and then their offspring. Um, that being said, as I understand genetically in a situation like that, that's not normally where issues arise. It's in multiple generations of, of, of uh, ancestral marriages. So that's the first thing. Um, we do have two instances going on where you have Jacob marrying two sisters, right? Rachel and Leah which would have been forbidden under, under later law in Leviticus, the 18th chapter. But that, that was fraught with problems. It was not an intentional thing. And it's, it's not an incestuous relationship in that he didn't marry his own sister at that time, right? Uh, yeah. But that, that would have been uh, just a, a wrong situation later. That was not intentional. It does show, though, how God can work even through human error and, and human sin, God can be redemptive. So the, the one question that would remain is, is Abraham and, and Sarah. And in that case, 
we would understand this was a half-sister. Now, there are Jewish explanations that try to make it more distant. I'm just not convinced that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, that would have been still culturally on some level uh, acceptable as, as God reveals his law. Remember, polygamy was even permitted under the law, but was never an ideal. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 19, as far as divorce, that it was not God's intent. His intent was one woman, one woman joined together for life in, in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. But because of the hardness of heart, this was done. So certain things were just pragmatic and God just working with what was. Nowhere does it say that God specifically sanctioned, you know, the Abraham-Sarah union as much as God called out Abraham and, and here's his wife, Sarah, and God's going to work through them. So once God begins to get a people for himself, now he establishes his standards. And of course, the, the laws against incest, specifically Leviticus 18, are tremendously detailed. And, and I've asked gay activists who say, well, we don't live by Leviticus. I've asked them, just please tell me that if they claim to be Christian, on what basis there is a prohibition against incest if we have to throw these passages out entirely? Because God says he actually judged the Canaanites based on this. It was the end of Leviticus 18 says God vomited out the land because they committed these abominations, which included incest. So it's clearly forbidden once God establishes his law. Um, but from creation, there was, there was no choice at the beginning. But even if you have any father-son, son-father type of violation, even an embarrassment like Genesis 9, you know, seeing nakedness in apparently a mocking way, that's, that's clearly forbidden. Um, so having said that, what question response remains? Like it was kind of sanctioned when um, was it Lot? His daughters had sex with him. They still seem to be blessed and their children and all those sorts of things. And I'm just like, what's going on? Um, and even when Leah and Rachel uh, they got pregnant, it almost seemed like, and I'm, this might be a little bit of a bit, but it almost seems like God was pitting the sisters against one another, making one barren while making one pregnant, then making them pregnant while making one barren, and it was just. Round and around we go, and when the sisters weren't sufficient, they brought in their handmaids. I mean, there's just a lot going on. Yeah, so, so, so when, when you deal with, with Lot, though so this, is, this is part, the Moabites and Ammonites were looked at as heathen, as, as idol worshipers, as not part of the chosen people. A Moabite couldn't even enter the congregation of Israel for 10 generations, right? So Ruth obviously becomes a, a follower of the God of Israel and hence has entry. But uh, they were forbidden from even being part of the people otherwise. So this is looked at as part of their shameful history. In other words, it's recorded in Genesis to show how bad things were, how, how backslidden Lot was, and, and how evil this was. It's not recorded in a positive way. There are a lot of things just recorded the Bible just tells us historically. With the two sisters, yeah, there are many other things that God is, is doing in that. But there was nothing... There was, there was nothing incestuous about a man marrying two sisters, right? It would be incestuous if he married his, his, his own sister. There was, yeah. nothing in, right, there was nothing incestuous there. And God is just working out his purposes in both of their lives and, and, you know, and, and the daughters and all of that. But the whole thing is even their polygamy is seen as a, as a bad thing. God works through it. So out of human sin, weakness, and failure— he, he births the children of Israel, which is just a reminder, don't boast. There's nothing about us. There's nothing about our background 
that we can boast in. It's it's all the grace right. of God, but it's right. it's a it's it's a bad situation. God works good out of out of that situation. And then when it comes to legislating, it's it's legislated in the clearest possible ways that these things are detestable in God's sight as a practice. And nowhere is it ever sanctioned, approved, smiled on. There's not a positive syllable that's said in, in that regard. So I, I think when we look at the overall testimony of Scripture, when we see that the things that were specifically incestuous, like Lot and his daughters, that's, that's listed as a shameful thing. This is part of the history of the, the nations that are not the chosen people, that worship gods of wood and stone. This is part of their history. So it's, it's included as part of their shameful past, not to say, hey, check out what we got to do here. You know, look, look at the liberty that, that we had. The other thing with, with concubines and things like that, that was a way of life uh, in, in the ancient world. This was polygamy. Many times, women dying in childbirth, health issues, and things like that, many times the only way to bring a child into the world was for, for a man to have a concubine. It wasn't like they all had these harems, you know, and, and in many cases, you don't see multiple children because of the death rates, infant mortality, different things like that. Women, as I said, dying in, in childbirth. So that was the way then, but progressive revelation as you go on, you see that all the polygamous examples are negative. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus says God's intent, one man, one woman joined together for life. And then you go on from there. Paul says leaders can only be married to one woman. So the example is set to turn the tide. But a lot of this happens over a period of centuries. Hey, can't wait to see the family. Again, it's been too many years. Jeff, say hi to Adrian for me and to your other child. God bless. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I was just talking to my wonderful son-in-law, Ryan, about our relationship with Trivita and, and uh, how excited I am to share these resources with you. And just, I, I've been supercharged. I'm actually having people, friends text me, oh, tell me about this. What's going on? We heard about this. Have you tried this? Like, have you tried, are you kidding me? So, you know, every day I'm gonna be reminding you when we talk about it, come on, let's eat healthy, live healthy. We got one life to live, one body to give over the purposes of God. And these supplements can be a great help as well. So remember, everybody, 100% of your first order, literally 100% of your first order is going directly to the line of fire. Only one place to help us blanket America with this nation. Think of Thoroughly Jewish Thursday all over America on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stations as we expand. Think of that happening. By God's grace, that is what's going to happen. And Trevita standing with us to help. So 100% of your first order and then more than the tithe of all subsequent orders will go right into that fund. So to take advantage of this and to get a special discount, call 800-771-5584. Got that? 800-771-5584. Find out some of the resources that we've recommended, No Pelea or Mile Health, how you can get a free month's supply when you call in. Tell them Dr. Brown sent you or just go online, 
Trivita.com and use the code BROWN25, capital B, BROWN25. Use the code. You don't have to say Dr. Brown sent you there on the website because you'll be using a special code, getting that special discount. Okay, 866-34-TRUTH. If you got a Jewish-related question, don't call Trivita with a Jewish-related question. Call me. We go to Dallas, Texas. Jacob, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Thank you very much. So my question revolves around the translations of Exodus 3.14. The word Ahaya appears from my readings of the Tanakh. I've only gone through all the way to Judges so far. I'm reading it in Biblical Hebrew. But I've seen it in Exodus 3.12. I've seen it in Exodus 14.12.15, Genesis 26.3, Deuteronomy 31.23, Joshua 1.5, and Judges 6.16. Every time that word appears, except in verse 14 of chapter 3, it's translated as, I will be. And from the grammar of Hebrew, when you have a past tense verb, you have an olive in front of it, it makes it a first-person future tense. So why would I believe it to be translated as I am when it's clearly I will be in every other translation of it? Yeah, got it. Uh, Fair question, but you didn't have the Hebrew exactly right in terms of some of what you stated, so let me help here. Number one, it could be I will be who I will be. That's possible. There are scholars who say it could mean that. Ehiyah, asher, ehiyah means I will be who I will be, or I will be what I will be. So that's a possible translation. No question about it. So the, the verb hayah, that's just the, the basic form. So it's not past tense and future tense. It's perfect and imperfect. And you'll find, throughout, you'll find throughout Scripture that, that perfect can sometimes be speaking of, of an expansive period of time, that imperfect can be used for present tense as, as well. Uh, so this, this is just commonly used, right? And, and I could give you... Um, examples for for example here let's let's take a look in psalm 50 okay i'm gonna go over okay, psalm, let, me, let me go to psalm 50 on my computer yep i'm doing the same thing here so psalm 50 god is rebuking the the children of israel and and uh uh he's saying you know you thought this you thought i wasn't looking etc that I, and and in some translations it comes out you thought the i am was just like you all right and let me can you tell me what what yeah yeah i'm just i'm just scrolling down to it uh who you recite my laws now the term is seeing that you spur my discipline brush my words aside when you see a thief you fall in with him and throw in your lot with adulterers you devote your mouth to evil yoke your tongue to deceit you're busy maligning your brother defaming the son of your mother if i failed to act when you did these things you would fancy that i was like you okay all right so that's that's verse 21 right Okay. So, uh, so uh, if I was silent, so you would think that I was, like, so there it's not I will be, but I was. You would think I was just like you. In other words, that I am being just like you, present tense. Not I will be. It's not future there, all right? Some think it's actually a term there, meaning the divine name. But in Hebrew grammar can mean I am, or I will be. E- either is possible depending on context. So 
because it is a self-disclosure of the nature of God, not about what he will be doing, but who he is. Many have translated it as I am who I am, or I am that I am. Some have even translated, I am who I will be. There is some mystery and ambiguity in it. So it's possible that Exodus 3.14 is, I will be who I will be, or I will be what I will be. But you can also make a strong case that it's, I am that I am, or I am who I am. That is the self-revelation of God. And now I will do all these things because of that. But if you look at all the examples, it's not, it's not exclusively meaning I will be. Could be that, but not exclusively. Um, is, there any, is there any like place in Tanakh where Achaya could be translated well, hang, hang on, just, just, a, just a question for you. Just a question, David, uh, Jacob. As, as you're yeah. calling for me to help you with Hebrew, why do you keep mispronouncing it? That's not what the vowels are. Achaya? It's not. It's Ehiyeh. Ehiyeh. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of, well, I'm kind of more self-taught when it comes to my Hebrew. <laughs> Got it. No, no, not, a, not a problem. No, because you kept, I've said it, you kept repeating it. Good, good. That I just didn't want you to have some, like you have this Hebrew Israelite, they have this completely bizarre, impossible version of Hebrew that they claim is the original, which is, is utterly nonsense. It, it breaks the rules of all Semitic languages worldwide. But, but any, anyway, um, if you just look generally, okay, look at it, just, just research the imperfect in Hebrew, okay? Look at the imperfect in Hebrew, and you'll see that often it is used for something that is ongoing, that, that is continual, that is present tense, all right? And you, we all know that the verb to, to be in the present tense is not used in and of itself. In other words, if I say, I am a man, in Hebrew, I just say ani ish, right? I man, and it's understood. Uh, if if I say uh, Nancy ish t, Nancy is my wife, I don't say is. That's understood. So if I want to communicate, I am just that statement. How else would I say it? The, if I say ani who, that's saying I am he. So Jacob, the only real way to to say it would be if you use this verb. So. Look at some of these other instances. You have another example in Hosea, I think the second chapter, where people wonder, is, is it saying I, the I am or God saying I am, um, just in, in current lingo. And then search more about the imperfect in general, and that should help you understand. Hey, if you need further clarification, I'd gladly give it to you, but it would leave out the vast majority of my listening audience. Just shoot us a line. And, and my assistant, Egal, my Jewish ministry assistant, who is fluent in Hebrew, modern and biblical, as well as Russian and English, he will gladly take you through this in more detail. We'd love to be of help. I just don't want to do more on radio because it, it, it would leave too many people out. But thank you, sir. Keep digging, man. I love the fact that you're learning self-taught. I love it. You're doing great. Thank you. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Paul in Castaic, California. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Praise God. Yeah, last time I was on the air, I committed the radio iniquity or sin. And uh, I'm just here to say I have thoroughly repented and, uh, and I am trying to prove myself clean from this matter. So, All right. Well, sweet. Well, yeah. And in, in true biblical form of forgiving and forgetting, I have no idea what you're even talking about. So we'll move forward. Whatever it was, 
<laughs> I've forgotten as well. So you got a you got a fresh slate, buddy. Go ahead. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, so um yeah, I just wanted to ask, you know, were were there any exceptions or uh exemptions from participation from Old Testament fasting? So like for example, pregnant or nursing women, babies, infants, etc., you know? Right. So Yes, and then let me expand on this. In fact, I'm going to expand on it first. Okay. As Jewish law developed right to this day, there are all kinds of exemptions. You know, on Yom Kippur, which is the most sacred day and the day when everyone's expected to fast, there are always exemptions for women. It's understood that, that, that only a healthy male Jew is required to keep all of the commandments, that women are exempt from various commandments because of the, the, the challenges of motherhood and things like that that might uh, preclude them from doing certain things. So as Jewish law has developed over the centuries, it's included many, 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 many uh, such exemptions. And even Leviticus 16, in, in Hebrew, you shall afflict yourselves. It doesn't specifically say fasting, but that's been the universal interpretation. So what we have to understand is even though it was not explicit in in the uh, in the Torah itself, that there were to be exemptions. Obviously, cases came to Moses. Cases came to the other leaders. The Jewish tradition would say, yeah, these were passed down orally, and that's the, the so-called oral law. Well, some were passed down orally, some not. But for sure, based on the fact that God would exempt women from doing certain things after childbirth, that, uh, that when you had, say, you're newly married, you're exempt from going out to war, you had certain principles already established that were humanitarian exemptions based on life. So certainly we can assume, we don't have the explicit legislation, but we can assume that there would be uh, exemptions, exceptions. If someone's health was weak, they weren't able to fast. Like you mentioned, you know, a pregnant mother or a nursing mother or, or, or some other case like that. You can see the principles of personal application of, of humanitarian care, for sure, uh, within the Old Testament itself. And then those then get translated out to later Jewish law as the traditions develop more and more and more over the centuries. And for sure today, God's not hitting us with a hammer. You know, we, we live holy lives. There's never an exemption where, oh, I can go out and sin. I'm weak today. But in many other things, yes, God's dealing with us based on who we are, where we are, and helping us to go from there. Okay, right back to your calls. Remember, thank you, Paul. Good, good restart. Uh, 30 minutes from now, we'll be back. If you can't get through now, 30 minutes from now, we'll be back on YouTube, ASKDR Brown YouTube. You can just post. Well, we get to a ton of questions starting 30 minutes from now on Esther Dr. Brown channel on YouTube. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, another call. Rejoice. You can tell by that music. It's a call to rejoice in the Lord. Michael Brown, back with you on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday Let's go straight over. Is this our buddy Yoni from Israel? Hey, jo hey, Dr. Michael. How are you doing, man? Oh, great to hear your voice, bud. How you doing? 
Well, it's it's uh, how it's mutual. It's great to hear your voice. I waited so long to call you. Lately, on Friday, on sorry, Saturdays, I'm kind of busy. But today, I am in a public place, and I decided to call you because I have some some question for you. And for some reason, I decided today I'm going to call you no matter no matter what. And here I am. So, how are you doing, man? Oh, I'm I'm really blessed. I'm doing really well. Hey, maybe God willing, in in May when we have our tour in, in yes, Israel, yes, yes. we can we will, can meet I up. I will come to, to okay. see you. Yes. All right, we will meet up. So, Wonderful. First of all, yeah, yeah. We, we don't have a lot of time, so I just want to say I met up with you. Well, now he's our both of us friend Jeff from yes. Israel. Okay. Yes, and this is amazing, man. Look, I am look. I'm not an atheist because I'm not convinced that. I just don't believe in God. I'm not an atheist because I'm not in a position to go to believe in God. I just don't convince. And somehow I find him to be a good friend, first of all. And second of all, our conversations were so great that I get, I met with him a couple of times and it was so great. So I just want to thank you. Excellent. And so to my question. So today I'm going to ask you, what is Messiah? Not who is, but what is. And let me explain, because in, in the Bible, and again, when, when Christians say Bible, I don't know what, what is the word Bible, because in Hebrew it's Tanakh. And Tanakh is not a word, it's initial. It's Taf, Nu, Taf, which means like Taf is Torah, Taf, Nu is Nevi'im, and Taf is Tepuvim, which means Torah, Prophets and, and scripture. So, uh, traditional Jew will not say uh, in the Tanakh, it will be more specific. So, in in the Torah, Messiah is not mentioned, okay? Uh, maybe there is a hint to the Messiah, but it's not mentioned in. There isn't a verse in, in the Torah say, oh, one day we will have this and that, and we will have. But in the Nevi'im, we do have prophets about. Uh, something you can relate to the Messiah, right? Am I right? Well, no, within Torah, you have you do have references, for example, in Genesis 49.10, that the scepter will not depart from Judah or the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, yeah, no, no, and to, no, but, and to but, him will be the gathering of the nations. So it does speak of someone coming oh, through the line okay. of Judah, okay, okay, and okay, the nations will be gathered. Okay. And, and, and Moses says there's going to be a prophet like him, Raise up, but it doesn't specifically use the word Mashiach about Messiah within the Torah, right? No, but what I mean is because in Judaism, and again, we don't have uh, days and weeks and years because this subject has been studied for days and weeks and years in Judaism, but the general concept in Judaism is that there is two parts of the uh, what we call Messiah, right? So the, the first, the first step is the arrival of the, the individual that he, he, he is the Messiah, right? So he will be a human being, a living creature, a flesh and blood. He will be immortal, but he will be the king of Israel, and he will come, and he will fight uh, in Hebrew with Lochem uh, Hamot Hashem. Mm-hmm. He'll fight, fight the wars of God. the war. Yeah, yeah, the fight of the war, and he will and. It's like, how do you know that he, he is the Messiah? Well, you have to, to see what he is doing. So if he is the one who 
gather all the lost tribe of Israel, and he bring all of Israel to Hashem, to Jehovah, and then he will bring the entire world to Jehovah, even not Jewish. And everybody will worship and understand that Jehovah is the king, and he will gather all of Israel in Israel, and he will defeat all the enemies of Israel, and he will rebuild the temple, and he reinstate the physical uh, appearance of God in the temple in the world, okay? So this is the first step of Messiah, okay? Like, so how would, how, how, how would we know that Messiah has arrived? Yes. Yep. He has to do uh, certain things, okay? Right, and but, that's what Rambam, Maimonides, and Hilchot Mashiach, yes, uh, yes, excuse yes, me, Hilchot yes. Malachim, the 11th chapter, lays out that if he does this, 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 then maybe he could be the Messiah, yes. but then if he does all this, yes. we know. Right, so so let, let yes. me respond just because just time is short and we're, we're at the end of the yeah, hour no, no. here. Okay, okay, yeah. so, so, no, no. So, so let, me, let me finish my question. So, okay. But, but the, second, the second part, which is the, the important part of Messiah's days, of Yemota Mashiach, yes? Messiah's days is the, the full of, uh, fulfillment of the prophecy about the Messiah, why? Right? Because in the Nevi'im, in the prophets, there is a, third, a, a lot of uh, prophecies about the days of Messiah. One says, Umacha Adonai Dim'am Al Kol Panim. Yes, yes, as in God will yeah. wipe. Yes. Wipe no, every tear uh, from the uh, eyes. God right. will wipe every. Yes. And. and Ubila uh, Hamavet Lanetach. Right, swallow up death in no victory. More. Yeah. Yes, and. Right, Isaiah so, 11, right. So, so the lion lays down with the lamb and, and the... Yes, right. yes, yes. So, so my question is, let's assume that, that Jesus is the Messiah, right? Yep. So now we're talking all about who is the Messiah, because in Jewish tradition, we had a lot of false Messiah. Yep. And they didn't fulfill... So how come Jesus fulfill his duty as Messiah? Because again, maybe I'm naive... And no, that's, when that's I was good. A, a yeah, but, but tell you what, tell you what, I just need to jump in only because otherwise mm -hmm. I, I won't be able to answer yeah. the, the, the question. Okay, so number one, Mashiach is like David. David is the example of Mashiach. In fact, sometimes it's just David is the name that's given to Messiah in the future. And it says about David, it says about, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, it says about, it says about David in, in Psalm 110 David slash Messiah, uh, you are a priest forever after the order of, of Melchizedek, right? So Melchizedek, Melchizedek in English was, was a king and a priest. And we know that David did different things like a priest. You know, he wore the ephod. He, he, um, he brought sacrifices himself, in, in, if you read it in 2 Samuel 24. He did things that priests would do. God says you're a priest forever after the order of, of, of Melchizedek. In, in Psalm in Tehillim 110. And we see as we go on, for example, when you get to Zechariah, the third chapter, where it references Tzemach. Tzemach was a name of the Messiah, the branch. You find it in, just look in Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah 23. You'll see that the Messiah was called the branch. So it says that Yehoshua, the high priest, is a type and sign of the branch. And then it says in, in Zechariah 6, Zechariah 6, that he, the high priest, will sit on a throne wearing a crown, which is what the king did because the, the Messiah, the Tzemach, the branch, was to be a priestly king. 
What did the priest do? The priest dealt with sin. The priest made intercession. The priest offered sacrifice. The death of the high priest would, would serve as atonement for the innocent manslayer in, in Jewish tradition in, in Numbers 35. So first, Mashiach has to come and fulfill his priestly duty. And, Deuter and Daniel, Daniel, the ninth chapter, tells us, for Yikarit Mashiach, that Mashiach will be cut off and have nothing for himself. This has to happen before the second temple is destroyed. There are other prophecies, Yonatan, that speak of Mashiach coming or that describe what he must do before Beit HaMikdash before the second temple is destroyed. So he has to come, fulfill his priestly role, make offering for sin, reconcile us to God, right? Isaiah says in 49 that the servant says, I, I, I tried to bring Israel back, but I, I, it seems like I failed. And God says, no, not only Israel, but you're going to be light to the nation. So this has happened. His own people rejected him, right? That, that he, he suffered for us and we thought he was suffering for, for his own sin. Right, that, that all of us went astray, that each one turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him, on Mashiach, the sins of all of us. So this is him functioning as the, the great high priest. He will die for our sins. And Isaiah 53 speaks of him living on. He will die and rise. And when does Daniel 9 say it has to happen before the second temple is destroyed? Now this message has spread throughout the world so that more than 2 billion people have professed faith in the God of Israel through Yeshua, the, the Messiah. More and more Jewish people are coming to him as you're meeting more like our friend Jeff in Israel. And when he returns, he finishes the work. When he returns, all these other prophecies you mentioned, they'll be for, fulfilled. But he could not be Mashiach unless he came before the second temple was destroyed. He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And by the way, Isaiah says, Shemo, and his name will be called Pele Yoetz El Gibor Aviad Sar Shalom, that Messiah himself will be El Gibor, mighty God. This is all within the Tanakh. He's a priestly king, like David. First, he comes, suffers, dies, rises from the dead before the second temple is destroyed. Now, the message of Messiah goes throughout the whole world. Then he will return the end of the age and establish his kingdom in Israel and rule over the nations at a time of glorious, beautiful peace where all these verses you quoted will come to pass. All right, face to face, we meet one of these days. God bless my friend. May God open your heart and mind as you continue on your journey. Thank you, my friend, for the call. Another program powered by the Truth Network.